0: Welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden. And hey, make sure you follow us on social media, Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash mediumcoolpod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us any feedback you have, comments, questions, concerns to mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Also, hey, do us a favor, uh, hit us up and and you know leave us ratings and reviews and and subscribe and follow us wherever you are listening to this now. We'd really appreciate it. And honestly, regardless of shameless self-promotion and all of that stuff, it really, really does help content creators. So thank you so much ahead of time. Hopefully, you will take a moment to do that. Uh, Today, I'm going to keep this real short because we're getting into some really fun and juicy topics. Later, we're going to be talking about uh, my... One of my favorite movies, we're going to do a long form. Last week, Joe did his first one, which was Point Break. Mine this week is Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. So we're going to be digging into that. I'm going to be giving you a ton of kind of trivia and background information. We're going to be talking about a few favorite moments of of the film. But also, we don't straight up spoil the movie, okay? We do talk about certain scenes that maybe critics wouldn't have talked about at the time, but it has been 22 or 21 years since then. So come on, guys. Um, but we don't really spoil anything. I feel like anyone, even if you haven't seen it, you can listen to this and, uh, check that out. So I'm really excited to get to that. The other thing, however, uh, that I'm going to do first is I am going to, I had the opportunity, I should say, to see a film called Nobody, all right? And, uh, this is by, uh, Hardcore Henry director Isla Neishuller, and it's written by Derek Kolstad, and, uh, it stars Bob Odenkirk, Connie Nielsen, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Ironside, and Riza. And you can check it out this Friday, March 26th, in theaters. Now, of course, you know, we have a global pandemic going on. So please, if you do choose to go to the theater, please make sure you are practicing, you know, uh, your pandemic precautions. Social distancing, wear your mask. And hey, just be safe and, you know, help others be safe too. Anyways, nobody comes out. Uh, this Friday, and uh, hey, here's a little bit about it. So they took maybe 20 bucks in an old watch? Mr. Manson, did you even take a swing?
1: No. Could have taken her, Dad.
0: Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know?
1: Why didn't you take them out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? Because you don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me
0: that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here, old man?
1: I'm gonna fuck you up. (laughs)
0: It's been a hell of a day. You can see that.
1: For 12 years, I worked for some very dangerous people.
0: Everybody get to the basement.
1: What is happening?
0: Don't call 911.
1: I used to be what they call an auditor. The last guy anyone wants to see at their door. Because it meant you didn't have long to live. But I left it behind to start a family. Hey! Hey! I might have, uh overcorrected. When you left, you abandoned a certain debt that needs repayment, and your creditor is aware of your resurrection. They came after my family. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. And he doesn't fucking do that. Give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet! You look like shit, Dad. You should see the other guys. Who the fuck are you? Me? I'm nobody.
0: Nobody follows Hutch Mansell, played by Bob Odenkirk, who is a suburban dad, overlooked husband, and really just a nothing neighbor, a real honest to goodness nobody. When two thieves break into his home one night, something dangerous inside Hutch begins to break free. But when he finds that his daughter's kitty cat bracelet was stolen, Hutch's unknown, long simmering rage is ignited and propels him on a brutal path that will, uh, you know, uncover dark secrets he fought to leave behind. Now, John Wick is the first thing that came to mind when watching this film. Hutch is a nobody, and he only realizes how much of a nobody he is after the break-in that he passively deals with. But like John Wick, it starts off as a form of vengeance that then gradually begins to get bigger and bigger as more plot points are introduced and more heavy hitters enter the narrative. One incident leads to another, over and over, and it makes enough sense for Suspension of Disbelief to take effect. Now, I'll come back to Suspension of Disbelief later, but I'll just start by saying this. Nobody completely surprised me because I had low expectations going in and ended up having a really great time with it. Now, it's not a great film, but I'll be damned if it's not a great fun Bob Odenkirk is really awesome here as Hutch. He's more of a Walter White than a Saul Goodman, to make a Breaking Bad reference. Now, uh, I honestly didn't know how to take him in the trailers as an action hero, basically. But it really kind of works. I have a, uh, I have to give the director and editor some props here, too, uh, for making him look so good. But Odenkirk holds his own. There is some relatively subtle comedy that you know, occurs and he nails it with sincerity, but there are also tough guy moments that, you know, had the film been a mess, like most contemporary action flicks are, these tough guy moments would not have worked, but nobody gets it mostly right, honestly. And Odenkirk is a badass. who to thunk. Now, I just really love Bob Odenkirk also. And, and, and I think that this just elevates him into a truly impressive position as an actor know that he can pull off such a variety of roles and I am sold on Odenkirk. Now this feels kind of like a midlife crisis movie too. Hutch clearly needs more in his life as the opening shots of the film show us a montage of just how stale and formulaic his life has become. He found a way to give his life you know purpose by beating the shit out of bad people. There is a weird hypermasculine component to this film where Hutch finds purpose by partaking in, you know, a bit of the old ultra violence. His purpose seems tied to his masculinity or badassery, but I never felt like it, you know, got to an overly problematic level due to the way Hutch's story is told. Hutch may resort to a hypermasculine ultra violence, but he does, you know, he does not conform to that stereotype. He's a sensitive man that has a fuse that can be burned if pushed to it. Now, I'm also surprised Neishuller directed something like this after Hardcore Henry, you know, his last feature, and uh, definitely a less-than-favorable film for critics, undoubtedly. But um, the action sequences are hard-hitting and nobody. You know, they're gory and messy in the best way. And uh, as Matt Neglia wrote on Letterboxd, the film, quote, "...packs a ferocious, bloody, bone-cracking punch." I totally agree. And, you know, kudos to Nyshuler for pulling this off. I can't imagine a world where this film does not do well with audiences. We're in a pandemic, so I understand it's not going to smash at the box office, but I can't imagine this not earning Nyshuler a sequel, uh, which definitely could happen. Uh, it doesn't have to, but much like John Wick, it very well could. There is so much more we could experience, and as Brian Telerico on Letterboxd wrote, bring on the Nobody Cinematic Universe. Now, of course, that sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> maybe that's something you know we'll see in the future to some small degree. The story is set up to grow if done correctly, and audiences might demand more. But though some of the dialogue, exposition, and plot points are underwhelming, the overall layout and structure of the film was quite effective for me. I found myself saying, you know, what the hell is going on? And then, you know, it would be answered shortly after in a way that never felt cheap to me, minus some of the exposition moments, of course. But, you know, I felt like I was right in the pocket with this film, connecting in some way that helped me let loose and enjoy the ride. Despite the action sequences being well done, the world being built in an intriguing way and Odenkirk killing it, we also see Christopher Lloyd, not the film yap guy, you know, the back to the future guy, but he's at age 82 toting a shotgun and raising hell. How does that work? Because for me, it totally did. And, uh, solely on an entertainment level. Of course, I just loved it. I threw my hands in the air once, uh, once Lloyd finally showed his true colors and I was just, you know, completely baffled by it. It was wonderful. He plays Hutch's father, who is living a peaceful life in a nursing home, watching old westerns on a television at an unreasonable volume, apparently. But you know, Lloyd is great, and so is RZA. Uh, Riza plays Hutch's half brother, and uh, RZA, of course, being you know uh, a hip hop artist, he was in the Wu Tang Clan. You know, he's he's a guy. So RZA was in it. And he he's cool. And you know, I, I don't want to spoil anything related to these characters, so I'll just say I was put off by them early on. Um, but stick with it because they really grew on me uh, and into something that I could really get behind. So they're cool. Michael, Michael Ironside was also uh, cool. And, you know, he was almost unrecognizable to me as Hutch's father in law. He looks so much like a normie <laughs> in this movie that I barely recognized him, you know. Um, and I kind of mean that as a compliment. You know, he kind of disappeared for me. So, um, you know, he's not in it a lot, but he rules. Now, I could criticize this film. It doesn't really have any kind of meaningful depth. It has nothing to say that, you know, has any kind of significance. The exposition sometimes is pretty annoying, actually. And that suspension of disbelief I mentioned earlier, yeah. There are moments that certainly challenge it, even within the context of the narrative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is not a perfect film. This is not gonna be on my top ten of the year, nothing like that, okay? but it's not trying to be not even close. One thing I appreciate about Nobody is it knows what it is and you know it doesn't try to do anything else it just does that thing. And it's an action movie with a sense of humor. And it's not trying to win any Oscars, it's trying to entertain its audience. And it, you know, it 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 did it did just that. As far as I'm concerned, it did just that. It is an entertaining Action movie. And you know, I, I know I can be hard on movies sometimes, but this is a perfect example of how I don't need every film to be a five star picture. Some work only, you know, works as uh, as well as it needs to, and that's okay. And nobody allowed me to spend 90 minutes watching something that made me happy and felt like a whole lot of fun, and I'll take that along with the best movies. Now, what do you learn from this movie? Don't call Saul. Better call nobody because he can really get the job done. I gave this film a three and a half out of five. I hope you guys really enjoy it. And, you know, it comes out uh, March 26th. It's this coming Friday. So definitely, if you feel comfortable going to the theater, go check it out. Either way, you got to check this movie out. It's a fun movie. And um, yeah, so that's what's up with Nobody. Next, it's going to be Joe and I talking a little bit about Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. It's one of my favorite films. So let's, uh, let's see what Joe's up to. All right, Joe. Today's, today's the big day. It is yeah. the first movie that I get to pick. Last week, (laughs) Joe's first pick of one of his favorite movies that we were going to do a long form talk on was Point Break. If you missed that, uh, Joe essentially provided a play by play. We had a great time. (laughs) We had a good laugh. You know, it was good. Right, Joe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved it. We had fun. Anyways, uh, that's last week's episode. Uh, This week's episode is my first pick. And uh, as you saw from the title of this podcast, <laughs> you can already uh-huh. tell uh, what I'm talking about. And that's Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Uh, it yeah. is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Sit Back and Relax, because there's a Ooh. lot of names, uh, yes. Jeremy Blackman, Tom Cruise, Melinda Dillon, Philip Baker Hall, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ricky Jay, William H. Macy, Alfred Molina, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Jason Robards. which unfortunately this was his last film. Um, yep. and Melora Walters. Of course, there are other names we could bring up, but it, really there's just many. too many. This is a fucking Wes Anderson movie. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> where it's yeah. just like, yeah. there's just an endless amount of talent. Um, yeah. I just I, I want to make a joke about how it's probably not a, a coincidence that they're both named Anderson, but th- this is one yes. of Paul Thomas Anderson's, kind of in his early phase of his career, where he was doing the Robert Altman ensemble cast thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's really great uh release date December 17th so it's a 1999 movie but that was the mm-hmm. limited release it uh, went wide the month after in january um, budget of 37 million dollars box office 48.5 million which is a decent success not like mm-hmm. some like crazy box office break but yeah. still you know it at least made its money back and some profit um mm-hmm. and i'm gonna let everybody know who's listening to this uh I already told Joe that I don't want to go with like hard spoilers on here. He's going to follow my lead. Uh, but I am going to be talking about scenes that maybe critics at the time wouldn't have talked about uh, just so we can actually have a more fruitful conversation. But I am going to try to kind of toe the line of that. So don't be afraid of spoilers if you haven't seen Magnolia, because I can't stress enough how much I hope that you do. Um, mm. So here, here's my long lead in. Are you ready, Joe? Yeah. All right. Magnolia follows an ensemble Uh, of individuals living in the San Fernando Valley, a dying father, a young wife, a male caretaker, a famous lost son, a police officer in love, a boy genius, an ex-boy genius, a game show host, and an estranged daughter. All of the stories are tied together in different ways, following characters that are at a low point in their lives. A common character approach that Anderson does in a lot of his movies, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I mean... Boogie Nights, I don't know why I just forgot about that. But yeah, right, yeah. anyways, I love that movie too. Anyways, we'll, we'll get yeah. there. We're going to talk about that some point, I guarantee. <laughs> uh, we could just do a Paul Thomas Anderson marathon. But anyways, uh, the great thing is we know who these characters are by the end. We know how they work and etc. Officer Jim Curring, played by John C. Riley, is a simple cop living in a sterile, bland, minimalist apartment, but he's not appreciated at work. He's a bit of a fuck up. And his life Mm -hmm. is lacking love, something that he tries desperately to find by the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Claudia, played by Melora Walters, is struggling to feel much of anything as she clearly has some unresolved issues from her past and copes with them by using drugs, namely cocaine. Her Mm -hmm. apartment is essentially a drug den, every window covered, sheltered from the world the same way that she shelters her heart from everyone else. Jimmy Gator, played by Philip Baker Hall, is an aged game show host who recently found out that he had a terminal illness, which is uh, a cancer. He tries to reconnect with his daughter Claudia, the aforementioned character, uh, but there are skeletons in the closet that are revealed as the film continues. Mm-hmm. Frank T.J. Mackey, played by Tom Cruise, one of kind of the the, bi- the big heavy hitters of '99. Uh, Frank T.J. Mackey is a self-help guru (laughs) of sorts. I have self-help in quotes, uh, but a self-help guru who puts on an incredibly misogynistic seminar uh, under the Seduce and Destroy banner, where he trains men to objectify, belittle, and ultimately abuse women in order to get these women to sleep with them. Uh, Mm. With the tagline like, respect the cock, tame the cunt, Joe, uh, I'm sure you can tell how wholesome his message is. Yes. Moving forward with Earl Partridge, played by uh, the fantastic Jason Robards. He, again, unfortunately passed away uh, after this film, and this was his final role. Uh, But he, in the film, Earl is a very successful former TV producer at the end of his life, and he's dying of brain and lung cancer. Coincidentally, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Robards died from lung cancer, I believe, but... Anyways, Earl is dying from brain and lung cancer, and he's sitting around with hospice nurses in and out of consciousness. Now, nurse Phil Parma, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, is taking care of Earl throughout the timeline of this film, and his main goal during the film is to find Earl's estranged son, Frank T.J. Mackey. Wow. And the plot thickens, Uh and Earl begs him to do so. So that is his goal. Linda Partridge, played by Julianne Moore, who's Earl's wife, much younger wife, is struggling not only with her husband dying, but, uh, you know, is also dealing with the guilt of wasting so much time with Earl, knowing that it was all for his money, until she actually falls in love with him as he begins to die. Stanley Specter, played by Jeremy Blackman, a very young actor, does a great, incredible job here, is yes. incredibly <laughs> precocious... Uh, genius really and you know he's two days away from beating the what do kids know game show winning record originally set by quiz kid Donnie Smith decades prior Stanley however is essentially forced to participate by his overbearing father uh, played by Michael Bowen which we would know as uh, I'm Buck and I like to fuck from Kill Bill and you know Uh uh, those types of characters he's great and Stanley feels like a slave and tries to process this as the film moves forward Quiz Kid Donnie Smith, as I mentioned, is played by William H. Macy and is at a low point in his life, like all the other characters, and really has been, uh, has been ever since he was struck by lightning. All he, wants to, uh, all he wants is acceptance, recognition, and love. He frequents a bar where a bartender he thinks he's in love with works, and Donnie spends yeah. the rest of the film trying to figure out how he can make the bartender love him back. Mm-hmm. The characters introduced are developed can you believe it, Joe? They're oh, developed. God. Wow. Yeah. I feel like this is the first time I've said this on this podcast. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, it's it's amazing how, you know, in the 188-minute running time, in the first 40 to 60 minutes, com- it completely sets up the characters for us yeah. to kind of watch their journey. And mm-hmm. so, Joe, here's where I set you up, all right? In an interview with Mark Marin. On, uh, on his podcast, WTF, this is January of 2015, Paul Thomas Anderson was asked what he would do if he had the opportunity to recut the film. And Anderson replied, I'd slice that thing down. It's way too fucking long. It's merc- uh, unmerciful how long it is. Now, for the record, the film is three hours and eight minutes, like I said. Uh, and he added, maybe a few trajectories in the film's plot lines could have been eliminated. But yeah. I don't agree with him. I actually mm-hmm. think his choices were perfect. I just think yeah. the film is just fantastic. So uh, further, there were reports of people walking out of Magnolia whenever it was first released in cinemas. What the fuck, Joe? Come on. So here's my question. What'd you say? Yeah. I said, that's messed up. I know. So here's my question for you. Are you like me? And you think the film works just as it is? Or mm-hmm. do you align with Anderson and think it could be cut down? There are things, It's a little loose. It needs to be tightened up. Or... Are you like the audience members that walked out of the theater? Where do you stand with Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, Joe? Yeah.
1: So in general, I am someone that if, if you give me good characters and you give me, you know, plot points that are going somewhere, I don't care how long it is. I, I think Magnolia is perfectly paced. It is very I mean it is long it's three hours long but it's to me it's the kind of movie that that you you know I, I, for me I, the first time I watched it I'm sitting there and I'm watching and going through I watched it at home on DVD and um, I'm sitting there watching it and finally at some point maybe two-thirds of the way through I go how long is how long have I been watching this movie and you know and I didn't I didn't even really realize it in, until at some point I was just like Man, this movie's long. But it doesn't, the, the characters are so engrossing. The, the tone of the movie is pitch perfect. You know, it's, it's equal parts hilarious and very touching and just, and it's, at times it's gripping, at times it's, it's really tense. There's a couple of moments that are really, really tense. And, and then it, it just kind of takes you through all of the, the gamut of emotions and it does it so effectively there's not there's no part that just drags to me there are it's it's eminently quotable you know and (laughs) it does and it does so many things i've never seen it in a movie william h macy's subplot about getting his braces is so brilliant and the way that they the way that they reveal why he wants braces when people around him Saying you don't. Everybody says that to him, and he gets angry every time. He's like, "I need corrective oral surgery." I need, and they're like, "What?" He's like, "I need braces," and they're like, "Your teeth are perfectly straight. Why do you need braces?" And And he's just like, "I need it. I need it." And and then the reveal as to why is so perfect, and that's just and there's just so many of those little things like there's so many reveals in this movie where you know you're just like, "What the hell is going on?" and then eventually it comes around to it and you're like wow that is just brilliant and it happens it just happens time and again over and over um yeah so i no i think it's perfectly if i mean if you're going to if you, if something's got to go i'm thinking that that lead in can go where they are outlining all of the coincidences you know and there's you know there's and i actually wrote down all the stories there's like Three, I think there's three stories yeah. that outline these really strange coincidences. They have nothing to do with the actual movie, the characters of the movie. It's kind of a thematic thing, right? Where you're like, here are all these coincidences that should have that, you know, that should never have happened, but they did. And then you go into the movie, which now I don't know that I don't think even the coincidence is necessarily it's necessarily a thing. He just carefully chose his characters. And they all just have links to each other, yeah. And then you know, and then something really strange happens. So yeah, uh, we'll you know, talk, we'll, I,
0: we'll talk about the coincidences at the beginning because I have a different view on that. But um, uh, sure. But, but I, I mean,
1: I'm just saying, like, if 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 something's got to go, that's what it's going to go for me. That's all that I could even think yeah. that someone would not want to see because every other every every single scene is brilliant in this movie. Every one of them. there's nothing that I just watch and go. Yeah, I don't care about this one. It's just, everything is amazing. Everything, everything.
0: Yeah, everything. And and for, the first thing I want to say is with, with you saying that, you know, the three-hour running time, like, yeah, it, it might be a long movie on paper. But, you know, it reminds me of something like Wolf of Wall Street or Casino where it's like yeah. there's music playing so often and the way that scenes flow together so perfect that yeah. you never feel – the length and and that's something that Roger Ebert used to talk about where he'd talk about, you know, um uh you know if what is it? It's something like um a, a film a, a great film can never be too long. Yeah. And a bad film can never be short enough or something like that, right? It's like, you know, if a film if you feel the length of the movie, then it's probably yeah. not doing something right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's perfect. And I was watching it and, and my wife ended up coming in and watching it with me, you know, early on Uh she was kind of watching it at the beginning, but she thought she might have to do something else. And then she didn't. So she ended up watching the rest of it with me. And after we were done, she's like, Oh my God, it's been like three hours. How long is this movie? I'm like, yes, yeah, three hours, eight minutes. And she's like, what? That's crazy. Like she couldn't believe it because like, it doesn't feel, you don't feel that, that length. But another thing you were talking about how everything's perfect. You know, and yeah. this, this might lead... I mean, we don't have to actually talk about what you would choose in this situation, but just to talk about uh, how much I love this movie, because the whole point is that, you know, the movies that each of us choose are movies we would consider among our favorites, you know, and I haven't chosen... This isn't in my top 10 favorites of all time or anything, um, so we'll get there at some point, but... Uh, this film would be my choice of best film in 99, hands down, even over yeah. American Beauty, The Insider, Bing John Malkovich, et cetera, et cetera, which yeah. are, I like all of those a it, lot. It's a like, good year for movies. Yeah. It is a good yeah. year, yeah. Uh, but I just think it is criminal that this didn't even get a nomination for any of the top tier Academy Awards, at the very least, which, again, yeah. we don't put a ton of stock in and I know. But it's just frustrating. Even Best Picture, Best Director, anything. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I only remember a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for Tom Cruise, but I think this is absolutely criminal. And I was even listening to, like, reviews from the time, and Uh people cannot get past the kind of surreal, fantastical event that happens at the end, which we will talk about shortly. Um Uh And I just I don't get it, Joe. I don't get how someone doesn't like this movie.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't fathom it either. Um, and I'm actually. I should. I should mention that my my girlfriend Alicia that I mentioned last week she was also going to watch this with me. Um, we haven't. We haven't had time to this week, and we we very well may as soon as we're done recording tonight. Um, but so I'm, I'll be interested to see what she thinks. But. This is one of those movies that for years I've just been like, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to see it. Because it's like, no, it's long. You're going you're gonna to be sitting a while. Maybe even watch it in chunks. I mean, if you really have to. Like for me, I'm like, no, I want to sit and watch the whole thing start to finish. It's a, com- it's a complex movie. You, and it's one you have to pay attention to. And that turns some people off as well. But you really, to really get, now you can watch it casually at some point. This is a movie you can watch many times. Oh, yeah. It might and you might miss things the first couple of times, and you'll always find something new because it's just so richly made, and every you know, every scene is packed with you know things that will, you know, in some way factor into what happens later on. But I mean, if you you know, you think about the different arcs of the movie, you talk about you know, like Tom Cruise's arc at the beginning of it, you know, you we see him in the seminar. And then during the break, he's giving an interview to this woman, but where he ends up in the film is completely somewhere else. You know, like where he ends up being is, I mean, it. I mean, the interview part ties into it directly, um, but it, it's a it's a strange. To me, it was a strange arc to begin with. Hey, he's doing this interview with this with this magazine or whatever, and you get a, a glimpse into who he is, and then later on. You find out, you know, really how he's connected to the other characters. Like you said, he's um Jason Robards' character, Earl Partridge's son, and his estranged son. And and why they're estranged is um something that ties in very closely to the to the, the circumstances,
0: yeah. you know, that they're It's in. a huge it's a pivotal so, moment of his arc, or it's a pivotal yeah, part of absolutely. his arc. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and yeah, it's man, there, there's just it's weird. There's so much to say about this. Any any one of the leads, any of them. Could have and should have been nominated for an Academy Award. You know, Macy, John C. Riley, Tom Cruise, Jason Robards, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Julianne Moore, Mel- Melora Walters, even who was kind of the as you know, I mean, she's the maybe the least known name of all of those that you know that I just said, and I I think I'm leaving somebody out even. But um,
0: the kid, the it, kid's probably the least. The but kid. as far as the adults yeah. go, yes, yeah, she's probably right. it. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, she had been she had been in Boogie Nights also with Paul Thomas Anderson. And that was, those two things were the I think at the time the only thing was I knew her from. Yeah. Um. So, but it, but she is as important as Tom Cruise. You know, and that's that's what's really cool is, is it's not a Tom Cruise movie. It's you know it's a movie where Tom Cruise is what probably the fourth or fifth, you know, lead of the film. You know, he's not he's not the star. Yeah. So he's you know he's just one one name of many. So but all of those guys, you know, either have have gone on to major award winning careers, or you know they you know they've been in you know they're in the the public consciousness even today I think yeah, just about all of them you know well, Robards, of course who passed away but yeah um uh,
0: yeah, yeah. one of the things about, like you said, with Tom Cruise, you know, being definitely the biggest star at the time, because all these yeah. names that I said, John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like all of the, even Philip Baker Hall was a name from the past, yeah. but he was also just a name from the past. Right. Like right. before, I feel like before Paul Thomas Anderson got a hold of him, he was like John Travolta before Pulp Fiction. You know, what right. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly like right. people know him. Yeah, people yeah. know him, but it's like whatever. But um, no. So with so. Paul Thomas Anderson and New Line Cinema, which is the studio that basically backed and put out the film, uh, reportedly had intense arguments about how to market the film. Uh, Anderson felt that the studio did not do a decent enough job on Boogie Nights, which was two years prior, 97, and uh, he didn't like the studio's poster, the trailer for the film, anything. So he ended up designing his own poster uh, for Magnolia, cutting it together a trailer by himself, He wrote the liner notes for the soundtrack of the album and like um, pushed to avoid hyping Tom Cruise, his presence in the film as like the, the main guy over the ensemble cast. Um, And even though Anderson ultimately got his way, uh, he realized that uh, he had to quote, learn to fight without being a jerk. And he says, I was a bit of a baby at, uh, at the first moment of conflict, I behaved, uh, In a slightly adolescent knee-jerk way, I just screamed. Um, But yeah, apparently that's what they wanted to do. Is they just wanted to push the film, like uh, with Cruise, Cruise coming right off the Kubrick, the final Kubrick film, Eyes Wide Shut, which was released earlier that year. Um, But yeah, yeah, what you were saying about the whole cast, man, they are all great. And I think part of what makes them so good, though, is the writing and that development that I talked about earlier. Because uh, every character, let's take John C. Riley for example. You start with John C. Riley. You know, you see him in doing some very mundane, trivial things in his apartment. At one point, he's praying in his bedroom. His bedroom looks like a fucking hospital room. It's so right. co- like sterile. You know, I mean? like yes. it's just white. There's like a cross. His bed. Uh-huh. That's it. You know, it's like very basic. And, uh, and you, then his, you.
1: I was gonna say sorry. You're probably mentioning it. Uh, I was gonna mention his the um the the telephone dating or video dating oh, yeah. thing that he's doing
0: yeah, yeah yeah well that ties into that character arc right like that whole development yeah. of he back in the day before we had tinder everybody okay. right. <laughs> people yeah. used to do these telephone dating things where like you can call and leave a message that tells people a little bit about who you are and then they can call you and like talk with you or leave you a message or whatever um, prior to that, people used to, in like the eighties used to make like videotapes and you'd like <laughs> right. rent a videotape or something. I don't even know how it worked yeah. exactly. You'd rent yeah. a fucking videotape. And then you have all these guys that are like, Hey babe, I want to light your fire or like whatever. Yeah. Um, and so this was just a, an advanced version of that where it's just like this whole right. phone hotline thing. So yeah he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's desperate for love, but also, you know, he in the opening, one of the opening scenes for him is he goes to, a uh, domestic disturbance call, and yeah. uh, you know, finds Congress. a dead body in this lady's house, and th- I, I tell you that to say when the rest of the police officers get there, which that scene's hilarious. Joe's sitting here laughing already because it's uh-huh. so funny. But uh, um, when the when the rest of the police officers get there, you know, the there are detectives and whatnot asking what happened, getting reports, and every time John C. Riley tries to talk, they just talk over him. So you realize that he's not a respected police officer in the force. He's clearly a fuck up because you see him do things throughout the film that kind of prove that. Um, Just what what a great. And this is all just because, again, I say it takes like 40 to 60 minutes to develop all the characters. It's because there are like eight main characters. Like, right. like yeah. if it wasn't, you could easily do it in the first act half an hour or something, right? Yeah. But, you know, it just takes longer because there are so many characters, and they're all main characters. They're right. all, yeah. like, the person, but it's yeah. just all of them. And And, again, back to the writing, just the way that every single story is intertwined with another... So, you know, this kind of ties into, which I, I'll i really tie it in later, but this ties into the original coincidence thing at the beginning where all of these stories kind of coincidentally lead to one another's catharsis at the hands of another character in some way, in many cases, not everyone, but in many yeah. cases. Um, speaking of Jim and Claudia, for example, uh, okay. or um, actually I would even say, I'll say this kind of vaguely, Jim and Quiz Kid Donnie Smith, you know, there's yes. a cathartic moment there. Um, and, you know, for for someone like Jim, you know, he's he's getting his catharsis by not fucking up and actually trying to do the right thing, you know, and, yes. and feeling good about himself. Quiz Kid Donnie Smith learns a little bit about himself and challenges the decisions that he's made throughout the film. Yep. And so uh, I just think this is just an expertly written thing, too, you know. And that that's why I can't imagine... Sacrificing any minute of this movie, yeah. and I don't, yeah, I can't, like whenever, whenever Paul Thomas Anderson says, uh, "Let me find the exact quote here." Um, uh, here it is. He says, "I'd slice, I'd, <laughs> I'd slice that thing down. It's way too fucking long. It's unmercifully long." And he says that maybe there are a few trajectories in the film's plot lines that could have been eliminated. What is he talking about?
1: Yeah, what, what can you cut out? I yeah. can't
0: figure it out
1: because there's nothing I would want to cut. There's no, I mean, I mean, maybe there's there's a moment when when Donny drives into a into a store like he drives like over, you know, he's it's like, like, like not Five seconds, right? And that's like five. Like I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to find like anything more subs- I, Okay, maybe that could go, but I mean, that, like you said, five seconds. Who cares? I mean, yeah. it's a funny moment that they just, they, they blow past because again, he's a, he's a screw up.
0: He is. And that's the whole purpose of it. Like it's the, it's the visual storytelling, developing a character when someone just runs through a storefront window or whatever, I mean, like you very quickly pick up what type of character this is, especially the first time you hear them speak and it sounds like him. Right. And when you find out that he was, you know, struck by lightning, and you realize yes. that's the pivotal moment when his life changes.
1: <laughs> There's, and that's, and that's such a thing that's not, that's not keyed in upon. Like, like that's part of a throwaway line, even too, right? Like, I think maybe it's mentioned twice.
0: It is mentioned the, twice. The first yeah. time I
1: remembered it is when he's he's talking to his boss Solomon Solomon Solomon. By the way, is his name, and he's played by Alfred Molina. Yeah. And my God, Alfred Molina in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is gold. Gold every time. Yeah, and he he is, he's doing like a Spanish accent of some kind. And there's this, he just, he goes to this. Oh my God. He goes to this whole thing. He's trying to fire him. Right. He's trying to fire him from this, this crappy job as a salesperson. What is it? What kind of store is it even, I don't remember.
0: Uh, um, I don't either. Yeah. It's he's it's, some, he's a middle Eastern guy. I do know that. Okay, and so- yeah, yeah. Solomon, Solomon, uh, what is uh, the thing now? You, I, I got fixated on something else and I've already I'm, spaced. It. I'll look like it I'm up, like but you guys, go for it.
1: Yeah, I want to say it was electronics or something but he's it, a salesperson and and they goes to this whole thing and there's a guy behind him behind Alfred Molina and he's and he's clearly like the guy he's brought in he's to the like, hey I'm going to fire him just in case anything happens I want you to be here. And and he just keeps chiming in they're still like they're still almost friends, right? But he's like look your sales suck, you're doing all the stupid stuff around town, you're you know you know that he's like the ideas that he hired him for his celebrity because he's still a celebrity and people still recognize him. And, and even when he drives to the storefront, you know, he smashes into the glass and this guy runs up and he goes, Hey, it's quiz kid, Donnie Smith. And then he like turns around and
0: runs away. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just so goofy. Well, and but then, even uh, that goofy thing though, what did that just tell you? Right. It tells right. you that people recognize him. Yeah. Someone yeah, random exactly. stranger ran up and goes, Hey, you're quiz kid, Donnie Smith. Like, yeah. That's what's amazing about Paul Thomas Anderson's writing here. Yeah. Is every oh, yeah. scene is perfect.
1: Go yeah. ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, but, and that's, but that's where,
1: but the scene with Solomon where he, you know, he comes in, he literally like smashes through that window. And then like two minutes later, he's in, he's going into work. Right. And he's, and he goes in and he, he's got like keys to the play. So you can tell, like, he's gotten special access. And he has got the little chain, right? Like it, you know, he pulls the chain out and unlocks it with you know unlocks the, the door with the key and he lets go and it snaps back to his belt, you know. Yep. And it's just this, it's this whole deal where he goes in and now Solomon's like, yeah, I'm I'm firing you because you suck and you can't sell anything and you do dumb stuff every day. And and, and the guy in the back is with him and it's just hilarious. It's just so many like they, quick they keep lines. interrupting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because he's like, he's like he goes. This is the worst time for me. I've got, I've, I've got surgery. I've got the surgery I'm getting. And they're like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Corrective oral surgery." He goes, "Like braces?" He's like, "Yes, I need." Bra-. He goes, "Donna, your teeth are perfectly straight." You know, and they have yeah. this accent. Like, I'm not gonna do the accent. Yeah. But, and and it's just and the other guy's like, "Yeah." And he goes and then and then Solomon's like, "Wait a minute. You've been struck by lightning. I don't know if braces are a good idea."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and
1: it's like that's how you learn about it.
0: But what's great and, about that scene too is Solomon and Donnie keep fighting, but the guy yeah. in the back can't get past the braces. Right. Yeah, Every line, yeah. no matter what they're arguing about <laughs> yeah. at that point, I think you you're my celebrity Solomon, you owe me. <laughs> you know, and the other guy's like, you don't need braces, Donnie. You know, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like he's just like constantly bringing yeah. up braces. It's great. Yeah. And I don't it's... think I mean Magnolia is not nearly as funny as Boogie Nights to me. Like you can take this movie very seriously, but yeah. it has these really great, almost like charming to me moments, you know. Yeah. Um
1: yeah.
0: but but like Boogie Nights too, you know, you get these moments that are very these very serious moments mm-hmm. that also crack me up. Like there's a moment where Julianne Moore is coming clean to their lawyer. And yes. she's, you know, talking and it's very serious. I mean, she's like crying and she's getting really worked up, and there's nothing funny about it oh. kind of on paper, right? But there's a point where she talks about having cheated on Earl because prior to that, she was just with him for his money. But then now she's fallen in love with him. Uh And she's like, I've sucked other men's cocks. And I just laugh every time. Uh And they're clearly in on it. Like when you watch it, you know that Paul Thomas Sanderson wrote this on purpose. But it's also just like a very serious Moment, it's almost like dark comedy or something. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: and well, yeah. She,
1: and she has another one. It's weird how many Felicio themed amazing lines she has because there's one later on where she goes to the pharmacy <laughs> to get these drugs, <laughs> and it is oh, I and this may, I died laughing the first time it happened. First time I saw, it, and I laugh every time since. And this remains a, a trope to me that anytime it happens in a movie, it cracks me up. Where she goes in and, and she's got all these drugs and they're very, and you know, as the, the doctor tells her at one point, this is a really powerful form of morphine.
0: Yeah. Liquid morphine.
1: Yeah. And so she's mixing all of these and she's really nervous as she's in there. And she's like pacing, she's pacing around. And of course she has her own like depression stuff. And so she's like, she's acting a little twitchy. And so the pharmacist is, is leery of her. And, and he's, and he's just like, looks at her. And he's like, Oh, you could have a party with this, couldn't you? And she's just looking at him like, "What?" And you know, and and he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "You know, you can't mix these two. Like, like they're they're very clearly thinking that she's using these recreationally, yeah, and that she's about to go kill herself. Well, because she
0: has she has downers, she has yeah. uppers, both for her depression. Because the downers will send her too far down, so that's to help right. her depression. Then she has something to bring her up, and then right. she has Earl's medicine. Yes. But they're not paying attention to this. They're just Mm -hmm. like, oh shit, she has these three really powerful things. Like this could mess her up. And it is very discriminatory. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually have, Uh I have two friends and if you're listening to this, uh, you'll know who you are and I love you very much. But I have, I have a friend who every time he's tatted up from like tip of his Uh shoulder to his fingers. You know what I mean? Like just everywhere, long hair, beard, like the whole thing. And, when he and his late wife would go to the hospital, they wouldn't like give them like opiates or anything. Right. Even though they are not like he had a back surgery and he like used like two days worth or something and just stopped, you know, like they're not, he was a pastor. (laughs) Like he just looked different than you would think. And they would like discriminate them because of the way they looked, which is fucked. And this is kind of the same thing. You have this, Lady yeah. that is clearly going through uh-huh. a lot, but they perceive it as oh, she's kind of tweaking a little bit. It's uh-huh. just it's a sad moment, man. Let yeah. I wanna I want to talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, man. Are, well well go let, ahead. let me let
1: fi- me let me finish that because she she finally does snap,
0: yeah. right? Oh, sorry, yeah. And then
1: she and she tells them, she says to them, suck my dick.
0: <laughs> Dude,
1: and it cracks me up. I was like, anytime a woman says that in a movie. I just start laughing, and it, and it all connects back to that because it's it it's really, like you said, darkly comic because, obviously, she's in pain, and she just loses her mind, and she just says this to them, and, and she's like, and you called me lady! Shame on you!
0: Yeah, yeah, and
1: she's super serious. And she's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing in it. She's yeah. great.
0: I mean, you know, when we watched Safe for this podcast, she was great, yeah. but once she gets to Boogie Nights, but especially this, I mean... You know, who's better? Oh, yeah. She's great. One person that might be better, though, Philip Seymour Hoffman. as Phil Parma. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. This guy. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. He's the nurse taking care of Earl. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, always amazing. Um, And uh, you can go listen to my episode, my interview with Jeff Rhoda. We talk about good old Phil a little bit. I don't know if you knew this, but Jeff Rhoda was friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman. So we talked about that quite a bit. But anyways, um, yeah, Phil Parma, the character, he's taking care of Earl. Uh, and the whole film, he's trying to find, you know, Frank T.J. Mackey. But because Earl Partridge and F- Frank Mackey don't have share the same last name, right. they don't know how to put it together. So, you know, he finally figures it out. It's, it's great because uh, th- his conversations with Earl also. I mean, yeah. Robards is so good when he does that it's like a five minute monologue or something and they're like where he's talking and there there are they're also cutting to other characters with his it turns the voice over almost you know but man he he he's so good and and it's all about philip seymour hoffman reacting in those moments i mean my god just watching his face you know i just kept watching it like man i want to be friends with this dude he's like so nice and so cool and there's like this really hilarious moment where You know, clearly he will order groceries for Earl because he can't leave. He has to take care. So they have delivered groceries delivered. And uh, he's trying to find Frank T.J. Mackey, which, as we have said, you know, seduce and destroy. It's about, like, basically seducing women and having sex. So where realistically would Frank T.J. Mackey, you know, advertise in porno magazines, So, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman calls this place and he orders some bread, some peanut butter, some water, then he scratched scratch the water, you know, he asks for a few things and he goes, Do you have Playboy? Do you have Hustler? Do you have Penthouse? You know, and he orders like one of each of these magazines and before he orders it, the person on the other <laughs> line's like, So do you still want the peanut butter, bread and water? <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, why? You know, yeah. clear because she um, thinks that he's just adding other stuff, you know, to not make it weird for ordering porn. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean man, what a great moment. But it's it's like just even that man, he plays that so perfectly. Later he's crying and it's the most believable thing I've ever seen. Like this is the mm-hmm. movie. I mean I love him in Boogie Nights, don't get me wrong. Uh I I love him in Hard Eight. Philip Seymour or uh Paul Thomas Anderson's first one. And he's only in it for like a second, but I just think he's hilarious. Um uh, yeah. I love him in so many things, but man, this is the this is the first movie that really turned me on to yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I hadn't seen I didn't see this movie until probably 2004, you know. Oh, wow. So I mean I saw it years later as you know, I notoriously did not get into movies until like 2003, so uh, after this. But still, you know, I saw this and it it blew my mind, man. Phil, Phil yeah. Hoffman is really great. Uh Amazing. any anything you want to say about Philip Seymour Hoffman?
1: Yeah, just well, you know, you you mentioned that the way that when when she asks him that, the way he he reacts to it. It's so na he and he literally he goes, yeah. And then he and then he laughs and he's like, "What?" <laughs> and it's like you totally don't want to an- don't answer that. But he says, "What?" Yeah, like you know. And it's just such a it's so heartfelt and natural, and you're just like, "He's Dude, like, what?" It's, I'm not a <laughs> uh, you know,
0: I, my wife and I watch everything with subtitles now, which is hilarious because you know yeah. before two thousand three, I refused. Uh, yeah. But now we watch literally just everything. It's just like they're just always turned on on every streaming platform. If there's a, you know, unfortunately Criterion, not all their Blu-rays have uh, subtitles, but it like you notice it because we watch yeah. them with them all the time. I picked up so many things on this movie that are just kind of either under the breath or I mean that whole that whole sequence, I'll just say this, later in the movie,
1: uh-huh.
0: when uh, Jim and uh, Claudia... Are talking. I'm talking way. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you know what I'm talking about. And there's music playing. Amy Mann songs playing over it. Yes. And he's like talking, but you can't really make out what he's saying. If you watch it with subtitles, it subtitles them all. I never oh, knew wow. what he said. So yeah. you know, is I don't know why I'm talking about subtitles now, but anyways. Uh, I but I picked. I had never heard him. I don't remember him saying what is what I was getting yeah. at. Phil Phil Hoffman. Yeah. So he's just yeah. like yeah. What? Yeah. I love that he, he kind does. of like laughs. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. It's a really can...
1: uncomfortable laugh when you've been caught doing something that you know yeah. like you don't want to be caught doing, right? Like yeah. something embarrassing. It's the yeah. weird
0: thing of like he's also not doing anything weird because he's actually yeah. doing it for a good reason, but they don't know that. Right. So it's just like very yeah. uh Well, and very... you
1: also don't really know that at the time that it's happening too. Like as the, the care like it doesn't like I you know, when I first saw I thought, Oh, he's like getting porn on the you know on on the so clock, my wife right? thought, like, yeah yeah and then yeah and then when he, once he it, it all gets there he's he immediately grabs them and he's like frantically digging through it and then you see him looking for the ad and you're like oh okay it's
0: it's that, brilliant okay,
1: makes, yeah, yeah it's great it pulls you right back to who he is yeah
0: it's so great I want to talk about one more person uh before we go here well actually I, I just want to say this real fast and then I'll get to uh Philip Baker Hall here in a yeah. moment but uh, Jeremy Blackman who plays Stanley, the kid, the, the, the new quiz kid who's about to beat quiz kid, Donnie Smith's old decades old record. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid's fantastic. Am this I right? Is, so good. is so he, good. is yeah. he even in other things? Like I'm going to look this up right now. Cause I don't even remember seeing him in anything else.
1: This yeah, kid's I, so I
0: great. Recall. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't recall being him being, I mean, I'm sure he has been, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't recall. He's not someone who's recognizable, um, you know, for a hundred other things around that time, right?
0: Nope. Um, he was in, like, two movies that I've never heard of, and then he was in TV shows like Law & Order. This yeah, kid, wow. how did this happen? This Eight kid credits. is fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's so good. Maybe, you know, maybe he got turned off to acting. You know, maybe something happened. To no, him.
0: that's that's perfectly <laughs> fair. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm speculating. Um completely because i I have no idea but yeah he he had a featured role in this movie and he killed it the the scenes with the kids in that game show so the the premise of the game show is three really smart kids against three adults right yes yes. i don't know i think the adults are not necessarily they're not they're like just maybe average intelligence adults they're not necessarily supposed to be you know smart
0: but it's, yeah, the show is, what's it called? What do kids know? What do, dude? Yeah. Well, hold on, though. It's more like a Jeopardy thing. Cause, yeah, I'd like to see you answer any of these fucking questions, Joe. They're that, hard as shit.
1: Hard. Yeah. At one point, it's like, yeah, at one point, it, he mentions an opera. The question's about an opera. And he's like, you have to sing it in the
0: original language. Like it's in Italian or something. That's for 250 bonus points, is what it is. And guess who does that yeah. shit? Stanley? Yeah. No, but, right. but, but then another thing is like, Um, we're going to play three notes for you. Yes. Figure out the notes, and then it will relate to a picnic food. So it's like EGG. This guy has, quote-unquote, perfect pitch, so he can like pick them out, and it's an egg, right? Uh, Dude, who knows this shit? I mean, come on. But it makes him so much more brilliant, but it also, Mm -hmm. in many ways, makes his story so much more tragic when you realize that... He, like many child celebrities, are, is kind of like forced into this almost slavery, you know, right. where, uh, you know, he has his father forcing him to do it. It's But he's yeah. fantastic. That's the only reason I brought it up. He's yeah. really, really great. But I want to talk about Jimmy Gator real quick yeah. before I get into some background on the movie and a uh, little trivia stuff just for fun. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Gator, played by Philip Baker Hall. I'm going to tell you this. I had seen all of Paul Thomas Anderson's stuff up to that point, um, which when I got into movies, I guess that would have been Punch Drunk Love, which uh, Philip Baker Hall's not in. So I'd seen the three movies he is in. Uh Um, I don't remember. I'd seen him in something else, but I don't remember. But I went back and watched uh, a Robert Altman film. I think it's from 1984 called Secret Honor. Mm -hmm. Okay, I could have the year wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Altman. And Philip Baker Hall, it's a one-man show. Philip Baker Hall plays Richard Nixon. This is after the Watergate scandal. This is after he'd been subpoenaed to give tapes over that he had recorded in his office. And he's locked in his office. And it's just a one-man show in one place where he is just going the fuck off. This is red-ass Richard Nixon, dude. He (laughs) is freaking out by himself, talking to himself, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And he's just going off for 90 minutes. All right? One guy talking for 90 minutes. That sounds wow. boring as shit to a lot of people. And and right. it's not like the greatest movie, but man, he's so good in it. And it wasn't until I saw Secret Honor and then saw these movies again until I realized just how effortless Philip Baker yeah. Hall makes acting seem. And in this film, you know, he plays... It's also a really challenging part, I would say, because yeah. not only is he the host, the Bob Barker-esque character... Of this yeah. talk of this game show that Stanley the the boy that we talked about uh, mm-hmm. is a part of, he is the host has been for thirty years, um, but you know also he's dealing with the terminal illness. All right, yeah. so he's doing yeah. this day in day out thirty year job. He's dealing with just finding out he has a terminal illness, and there is a past that he has with his daughter that I won't spoil for listeners, but he has a past with his daughter, and. I'll be honest, Joe, and I don't want to talk about this because it it'd get us into spoilers, but I just want to say this. Um, if, if Listeners, if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. There's a moment where uh, Philip Baker Hall's character is talking to, can you tell me what his wife's name is? I don't have that oh. written down.
1: Yeah, his wife uh Melinda Dillon plays his wife. Yeah. Melinda Dillon
0: most her
1: name is um Rose Rosegator. Rose Gator. Rose Gator yeah, so, uh, Melinda no, Dillon was, was a,
0: Christmas a Christmas story, the mother in a Christmas yeah, story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And she's fantastic in this too. Very good. She's in not this in a ton of scenes, but she's when she's on, man, she's on. Absolutely. So he's having this conversation with her, and she asks him, uh, you know, what happened between he and Claudia, right? Like why why Claudia won't talk to him. Mm-hmm. and there's a point where philip baker says i don't know and you yeah. you know what i'm talking about yeah, oh yeah and oh yeah. i to this day having just watched it last night i honestly don't know if he knows like cl- right. clearly they allude to him doing a specific like uh having done something to her right? right and my wife kept going like how would he how would he not know the answer to that question like how would you not know and in my mind i'm like you're right like i don't know Is- Right. Like well but he drinks a lot. But he drinks right? a like, lot. Like there's there's yeah. a lot to that. And the mm-hmm. complexity of that character can very easily be overlooked by kind of where we are in our culture right now and and yeah. how we perceive those situations. Again, I'm being very cryptic about this cuz I want yeah. you to go watch it if you haven't. Uh I mean uh-huh. this is an exceptional film. And yeah. but man, Philip Baker Hall in this. What well, I mean what and then like toward the kind of big incident we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah. What he, it leads him to, uh, yeah. his story is so powerful to me, man. And I love oh. that. He is this like, really, he seems like this sweet guy. Yeah. And then whenever he passes out on air, I'll just say it that way. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens. So I don't need to say it any other way, but you know, he passes out at one point kind of falls over and they have him, you know, they go to commercial cause it's during the show and they take him backstage And he's just like, get the fuck off me. Get the fuck off me. Like, he's being, like, really aggressive about, like, because he's embarrassed, of course. And, like, there's a lot to it. But, man, he just, again, a gamut of emotions, right? His character hits all of them. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. Wow. And he's
1: he's very, he's very, you're very sympathetic to him through much uh, much of the movie. Even as I think the first time you really see him, he's, you know he's like backstage and he's like having sex with one of his one of the the women who were um like work for him right like she's got like a she's like 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 you said he's like if he's bob barker she's one of the barker's beauties you know from the prices right (laughs) way back when yeah and and he's clearly like he's like clearly in his dressing room and he's just you know like it's and it's really like this real quick little thing you get this little glimpse of yeah it pans up to him and then it cuts away and the rest of the movie he's for mo- most of the rest of the movie, he's very—you're very sympathetic to him because he's—he's he's a very sad kind of character, overall, and he feels like a grandfatherly type. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: It's a very yeah. traditional Paul Thomas Anderson introduction to characters at that period, where in Boogie Nights, you know, they're all at Burt Reynolds' house in the movie, yes. and it just goes around the pool, hitting each character. They don't introduce their yeah. names, don't say anything. But again, right. in what they're doing, you very quickly get what kind of character they are. They like hit a yeah. trope, basically. But as yeah. he develops him, they break the trope. Right. And th- and that's what happens here. I mean, you see Philip Baker like fucking this woman um, yeah. for like three seconds, you know, and then yeah. it cuts to the next thing. And it's very much like I'm just giving yeah. you this thing. You're going to immediately come up with who this person is in your brain. And then I'm going to like develop that person to be more yeah. than that. It's really great. I want to jump forward real quick. I want to talk about the big moment, okay? Yeah, and I want to uh-huh. set this up. And then, uh, Joe, I'm going to go through a bunch of background kind of stuff I find really interesting in the movie. I'll let you mm-hmm. comment on some stuff if you find yeah. it interesting. Uh, if I start to bore myself, I'll stop because I have, like, a lot. <laughs> um, so at the end of this film, not the very, very, very last thing that happens, but kind of like the big climax in the third act uh, – there's a moment where a, an event of biblical proportions <laughs> happens.
1: Literally. All
0: yes. of the characters are literally at the bottom of their barrel. Okay? The, I mean, they are all at the point that they need some inciting incident to give them some sort of catharsis. And that inciting incident is frogs raining from the sky. Yes, Millions and millions of frogs... Mm-hmm falling. Yes. So why they're the rain like of frogs, them. right? Live frogs. Um, live frogs. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them splat, of course. Yes. A lot of them are dead. You do yeah. see some jumping around. They they're alive. Yeah. yeah. I I so it is the inciting incident that leads to character catharsis for a lot of these characters. Oh. And um it's, you know, a biblical epic event as I mentioned that forces characters out of their everyday and it helps them realize that there's more to this world than they know. And so yeah. it is the, I would argue, the pivotal moment in the film. It is yeah. the climax of all the stories simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And is it realistic? No. But, because it's very fantastical, right? But yeah. it doesn't feel out of place to me as it does for other no, people. Yeah. Because, because yeah. of that thing. The way, like, what would a frog look like if it just splat on a windshield? I feel right. like it would look something like that, maybe. I'm not exactly yeah. sure. But then at the same time, right. once you get a good mattress of dead frog carcasses, some frogs might land and not be dead. So you see some right. jumping. Like, there is almost like a realistic nature that if this did happen, which it yes. can't. Well, actually, uh-huh. in real life, this kind of happened, and I'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but right, it's yeah. not It's not done the same way here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but
1: and, and there is a there is a reference that kind of permeates the film of to to the biblical, biblical passage Exodus eight two.
0: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Actually
1: have it pulled up, maybe we can read it maybe if we want in a little bit.
0: Well, Before yeah, I... I actually have that scripture in oh, my background. So cause we'll good, talk okay. about this this moment more, but I do I want to get your thoughts here once I finish this little lead in for you. So it, it doesn't feel out of place to me. Yes, it will take you aback because you're like, what in the fuck just happened? You know, yeah. but then like it's it's like comical and scary and yeah. like gross, but also like propelling the narrative forward. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was uh, a hurdle for a lot of critics. Like they just couldn't make it over this. A lot of critics didn't like this movie for this because it is a ludicrous idea. Right? Yes, but it also is foreshadowed by the beginning of the film when Ricky James narrates the opening sequence with the coincidence is happening, yeah. and what the reason that I bring that up is because all of these characters are in some way it's it's like this you know six degrees from Kevin Bacon, but like they're right. all like two degrees away from each other, and one yeah. person will do something to someone that will influence their interactions with someone else. I mean, it weaves perfectly. Yeah, and. Uh, I just feel like this, you know, does it have to be a rain of frogs? Like, is that literally the thing that has to happen? No, but it's also like kind of an exciting different thing. Like that is a complete expectation breaker. Again, yeah. for some reason, or for some people, it feels stupid. But yeah. for me, it's like, man, again, back to the biblical thing. and 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 I'm actually going to see if I can quickly... Uh, get to that part of the uh, background that I have. I think you said you have it pulled up, but there's Wait, a very specific yeah. word. Yeah, right here. It's, uh, Exodus 8.2 says, and if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And what's interesting is uh, they are, every character, again, is at the bottom of their barrel. Uh, Claudia can't give up her drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. like every character is kind of like dealing with the thing, you know, that, that they're, that they're trying to to mess with. And then what happens, this plague happens Mm -hmm. and it sets them all on a different path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It pulls all of them out of their, out of whatever they're in, because this is, this is like a, if if you, if you want to compare it to stuff like a a cataclysmic type of event, like a nine eleven kind of event, right? Where no matter what you're doing in life, and I don't mean to compare it to that, you know, in terms of like I know what you mean, but it, but it's a, it's the kind of event where when when it happens, everything stops, right? Like whatever it is that that we're dealing with in a particular moment, it stops because we're trying to process what just happened, right? And and that's what that is for. It's like that should frogs shouldn't be raining from like literally raining from the sky
0: and they're not just being blown off of trees they're raining from the sky like very literally
1: yeah there's a shot where you see the like when the first frog is landing right like you see him high above the tree lines right like way it just randomly just like he fell off an airplane or something and and then you you fall out all the way to the ground, and then it's another one and another, and then the next thing you know, it's it's a it's a rain shower. It's a downpour. It feels yeah. very much like a natural rain shower. And and it just it comes down and, and it's all over the place. No matter and no matter where you are, it's affecting you in some way. If you're outside, it's really affecting you. Yeah. Because you know, they're falling on your head or you know, your car. Um, so yeah, it's it's an immediate kind of panic for a lot of people. Yeah, and,
0: what, and what's breaking like, windows and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and what's amazing yeah. about that scene too, uh, and and why I tie it into kind of being like this pivotal moment that is like kind of intrinsically tied to the film. I think if anyone was like, do something different, like, yes, you could have a different cataclysmic event that sure. could do the same, but it's like pulling this out makes no sense because it really is kind of the, the moment that leads to catharsis. But also yeah. these characters don't really act like, so, like this
1: happened you know what i mean like because yeah. like
0: there is a moment between uh jim and um uh quiz kid Donny Smith that the officer jim played by john C riley and William h yeah. Macy's character where they're like hanging out just talking not yeah. like it like they're not ignoring that it happened but it's like they're just yeah. talking very normally uh, yeah and, they've, they've gotten to safety right like yeah
1: like they've had their like something like something bad happens like again we don't want to get i don't want to get too far. But, but something bad kind of bad happens to one of them one of them gets hurt i'll just say that yeah and it requires the other one to kind of come to their rescue and then then once they're rescued the other they're just sitting there just like
0: huh yeah <laughs> like,
1: what's what do you say what do you say when there's frogs raining from the
0: sky <laughs> it's it's wild i i really hope people also understand like it honestly i mean it's funny at first like yeah. you know uh-huh. when when you see a frog hit the ground and it's not dead and it yeah. kind of just like and it like jumps like that's funny but it very quickly isn't funny to me like it it doesn't it feels like an earthquake or like something that would just happen because of how the Mm -hmm. characters are reacting to it they're not reacting to it like it's a joke they're reacting to it like real fucking frogs are falling from the fucking sky yeah yeah Um, well there's,
1: there's an old story like where if you dropped a dime off of the empire state building right and if that dime fell from the building to the ground below and hit someone, it would go through them, yeah. right? Like, it would kill them. So, I mean, a frog is heavier, much heavier than than the dime, right? So, you know, what happens if a frog falling from the sky lands on you? You know, like, like it, it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it doesn't kill you because of the consistency of the frog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, Which we see but plenty of.
1: Right, yeah. But it's <laughs> it's going to hurt, right? Like, it's going to hurt you. And, it's, and it, you know, there's obvious there's property damage that you see happening. And, and like I said, people, some people get hurt, you know, in some way by it. So, yeah, and it causes havoc in other ways. A, a vehicle crashes in spectacular fashion because yep. of it. So, like, it, it's causing major, it's it's like a blackout level kind of problem, right? It's a major thing that happens that is clearly meant to, it brought the entire town to a screeching halt. Yeah. Because,
0: yeah. Well, it's fantastic. I'm going to talk a bit more about that and other things. I'm going to jump into some of this background stuff. Uh, So if you haven't seen the film or if you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely rewatch it after you learn some of this. I think it makes it really interesting. Uh, The first thing I'm going to start with is uh, Anderson had the title of Magnolia in his head before he wrote the script. He actually started having ideas for the film during the editing process of Boogie Nights. And Anderson uh, did research on a magnolia tree and discovered a concept that eating the tree's bark helped cure cancer, which is interesting because mm. there's a lot of cancer in the film. But that's yeah. less that's less relevant because the title Magnolia not only refers to Magnolia Boulevard in Los Angeles, where much of the film takes place, but is also uh, similar to the term by Charles Fort, which Charles Fort is an author and thinker that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was actually really... Uh, influenced by Mm -hmm. and uh he references fort multiple times in the film and uh fort coined uh the term magnolia for a hypothetical region where things that fall from the sky come and again Mm. that term was magnolia so it's a very interesting like i've had a lot of people ask me before what is magnolia like why is it called that well Right. I always thought it was just because it's Magnolia Boulevard. Like, that's not, you know, like, but yeah. it's actually, uh, there's more to it. It's really interesting. With the success of Boogie Nights two years earlier, uh, which cost $15 million to make, but brought in $43 million at the box office, much bigger success. New Line Cinema told Anderson that he could do whatever he wanted. So knowing that this opportunity would definitely not happen again, probably, uh, Magnolia was born. Anderson was given final cut for the film for people that don't know that it means that it's like stuff that Orson Welles and Stanley Kubrick got, you know, where they kind of get final say of their film. This is what gets released. So he got final cut of the film. And uh, let me find where I was. Oh, yeah. And New Line Cinema uh, by New Line Cinema before he presented them the detailed accounts of what happens in the film. So he got it greenlit, and he got final cut before they even knew what it was going on. I think that's great. Yeah, excellent. So originally, you know, he had uh, wanted to make a film that was intimate and small scale, something that he could shoot in about 30 days. Of course, that changed pretty quickly, because this is <laughs> damn near an epic, as far as I'm concerned. You know, once yes. he started writing uh-huh. uh, and the script kept growing and growing, Anderson wanted to make an epic, as I just mentioned, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make the all-time great San Fernando Valley movie. And he started uh, with lists of images, words, and ideas that, you know, uh, quote, start resolving themselves into sequences and shots uh, and dialogue and actors and music. That's what he wanted to do. And um, the first image Anderson had for the film was the smiling face of Melora Walters, who again plays Claudia. And uh, the next image he had was Philip Baker Hall as her father, and Anderson imagined Hall walking up the steps to Walter's apartment and having uh, an intense confrontation with her, which, of course, we do see early in the film. And that's where it started, because Claudia was the first character he created for the film. And uh, the other characters were branched off from her. And I I think that's really fascinating. I think it's a great way to start having written scripts and stuff. When you want to get an ensemble cast and when you want things to really tie together, I think often it's a pretty good idea to have one through line and then bring in a second line that is parallel with it and intersects. Mm -hmm. And then you can edit the first line so it makes more sense. And then you bring in a third And then that ties in. And then you might find the peripheral things that will tie into that second and third line. You know what I mean? Like, just working through it. I just think it's a brilliant way to go about it. Um, And Paul Thomas Anderson, I just know this. I think he went to, like, NYU or something or maybe UCLA. I don't remember exactly where. uh, But he took, like, a screenwriting class. And after, like, the first few weeks or something, I think he just dropped out. He's like, fuck this. I want to make my own shit. And uh, anyways, I'm kind of glad he did. I'm not a big advocate for like drop out of school. Like you'll learn something. But I mean, hey, it worked out for Paul Thomas Sanderson in this case. Uh, But the uh, so Paul Thomas Sanderson and New Line Cinema had arguments, like I mentioned before. Um, They wanted to star Tom Cruise as the main presence in the film. Uh, Luckily, that got turned around because, as you said earlier, Joe, all eight characters are the main character like there's yes. no there's no one that you could really claim to be the person. I'm surprised that you could even call any of them lead performers. I feel like they're all yeah. just supporting. Uh but anyways. Yeah. yeah. Scott Anthony uh, at medium.com wrote Tom Cruise was a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson's previous film Boogie Nights from 97 and contacted Anderson while he was working on Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Anderson met with Cruz on the set of Kubrick's film, and the actor told him to keep him in mind for his next film. So after Anderson finished the script, hes script, sorry, he sent Cruz a copy, uh, and the next day the actor called him. Cruz was interested but nervous about the role. um, and they met with Cruz, along with executive producer Michael Deluca, uh, who ultimately convinced Cruz to do the film. The character of Frank T. J. Mackey, who Cruz played in the film, uh, was based in part on audio recordings done in an engineering class taught by a friend of Paul Thomas Anderson that was given to Anderson afterwards. So he had these uh, these uh, audio clips uh, mm-hmm. from, uh, what was it here? It consisted of two men, here's what was on the tapes, it consisted of two men, quote, talking all this trash, end quote, about women and quoting a man named Ross Jeffries, uh, who was teaching a new version of the Eric Weber course, How to Pick Up Women, by utilizing hypnotism and subliminal language techniques. This sounds ridiculous. Anderson transcribed the tape and did a reading with John C. Riley and Chris Penn, of all people. I would love to sit through that reading. It sounds hilarious. Anderson then incorporated this dialogue into his re- and his research on Jeffries, and other self-help gurus into the character of uh, Mackie uh, and his sex seminar uh, seduce and destroy Anderson felt that Cruz was drawn to the role because he had just finished making eyes wide shut, playing a repressed character and was able to then play a character that was outlandish and bigger than life, man. uh, I I can't imagine listening to those audio recordings. I feel like I just want to puke anyways, (laughs) but what, what a great sequence. The first time you see Tom Cruise in this movie, he's a star. I mean, it's just he's such done. a great, a great moment. Yeah. Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson wrote the role of Earl Partridge. This is fascinating, you'll dig this. For for Jason Robards, but Robards was initially unable to do it because he had serious a serious staph infection. So Marlon Brando was considered for Earl Partridge, too, which wow. is bizarre. That would have been a
1: totally different movie, yeah. But
0: instead, Anderson approached George C. Scott. I saw saw this, yeah. Right? So when Anderson approaches Scott about the role, Scott threw the script across the room saying, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever read. (laughs) The language is terrible, he says. Eventually, Robards was able to do the film, and Robards said that his character, uh, of his character, You know, it was sort of prophetic that I be able to play a guy going out and in life. Uh, I was just so right. It was so right for me to do this and bring what I know to it. Again, uh, you know, he unfortunately did uh, die of cancer in real life. Uh, But um, according to Philip Baker Hall, uh, much of the material that he that Anderson used for this Earl Partridge character was loosely based on Anderson's experiences of watching his father, the late WABC TV announcer Ernie Anderson, die of cancer. Mm -hmm. How wild! Like, so many things going on here. Here's one that you'll appreciate, Joe Deborah Winger was considered for Linda Partridge. Uh huh. Luckily, Julianne Moore got the role.
1: Yeah, yeah. What it's a, a different, different movie, right? Yeah, a yeah, bit much different, yeah.
0: The character of Jim Curring originated, you'll dig this too, it originated in the summer of 1998 when John C. Riley grew a mustache just out of interest and started putting together an unintelligent cop character. Riley and Paul Thomas Anderson did a few parodies of the TV show Cops uh, where Anderson ch- chased Riley around the streets with a video camera. And actress uh-huh. Jennifer Jason Leigh actually made an appearance in one of these videos, but... Uh, some of the character of and Ker- Curing's dialogue came from these sessions. Okay, and uh, this time around, Riley uh, John C. Riley wanted to do something different and told Anderson that he was quote always cast as these heavies and these semi retarded child men. Uh, can't you give me something I can relate to, like falling in love with a girl? End quote. Um, so Anderson wanted to make Riley a romantic lead because, you know, it was something different for the actor. Uh, I don't yeah. remember him being a heavy. Do you remember John C. Riley being a heavy?
1: no, i I never remember him being anything other than a a joke. Like
0: yeah, a goofy, yeah,
1: comedic kind of character.
0: Um, I mean, I've seen him in serious stuff, and he's great, but I don't remember him being yeah, yeah. like a a goofy guy. even hard hard eight. He's really funny in moments, but he gets really serious. Yeah. But he's not like a yes. heavy. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Were you gonna say something? Sorry, I feel like interrupting. No, you. no. I'm.
1: I'm actually was gonna look and yeah, and look at his his early career and see what. We're
0: almost. Yeah, we're almost done with some of this background here. So, yeah. uh, while persp- while persuading Philip Baker Hall to do the film by explaining the significance of the Reign of Frogs, Hall told Paul Thomas Anderson a story about when he was in the mountains of Italy and got caught in bad weather—a mix of rain, snow. And tiny frogs (laughs) Paul had to pull over on the road as the storm passed. And if I had to guess, I I, I looked this up very briefly, didn't find anything. I'm sure I could if I tried harder. If I had to guess, there were probably like little frogs on trees getting blown off or something. Right. I mean, mean, of course, they're not actually it's not raining. But that's an interesting uh, thing there. I don't know. I find that very interesting. Uh, According to an interview, Hall said that uh, he based the character of Jimmy Gator on real-life TV personalities such as Bob Barker and Arthur Godfrey. Mm -hmm. The Reign of Frogs was inspired by the works of Charles Fort, which I mentioned earlier. And Anderson claims that he was unaware that there was also a reference in the Bible when he first wrote the sequence. So apparently the script was done, and he showed it Mm -hmm. to someone, and they gave him a Bible and were like, hey, read this. Um, And he's like, oh shit, that's in the Bible too. So at the time Anderson came across the uh, the notion of a reign of frogs. Uh, He was going through a weird personal time, as he would put it. And he started to understand why people turn to religion in times of trouble. And maybe... uh, his form of finding religion was reading about rains of frogs and realizing that that just makes sense to him somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's kind of like uh, uh, the uh, Stanley character. He's the only character that it just kind of makes sense to him. He's like, this is real. This happens. Right. This really happens. Yeah. Um, again, I uh, do only have we
1: wanna, Do we want to close out our John C. Riley as a, as a heavy. Yeah, go for John it. John C. Riley's very first film. Was above the law, starring Stephen. He played a thug in Bar. He was not credited for it, according to IMDb. Um, I I mean, there's a couple other roles, things I haven't seen. Um, Casualties of War, that's a a war film, Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox. So he's maybe a soldier. We're No Angels. Days of Thunder, his second best movie. He was Uh, he was a bad guy in the River Wild, but he was uh, the Curtis Hanson film with Meryl Streep. But he was he was very much he was pretty clowny in that film. He was not, yeah. And uh, Kevin Bacon was his buddy and the true bad guy, but he was kind of the second fiddle and was really kind of a nice guy that just was doing bad stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm probably way overthinking that phrase. It's just why would he use it though? Anyways.
1: Yeah, that's weird because, I mean, the vast majority of his roles are, you know, either are clownish or are in some way, other way, non, non-threatening, non you know, mostly for the most part. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
0: So here, here's, I have three more. Paul Thomas Sanderson uh, wanted to, hold on one second. Nailed it. All right. Uh, Paul Thomas Sanderson wanted to cast Burt Reynolds for an unspecified role. Uh, But Reynolds became angry with Anderson during the promotional tour of Boogie Nights and turned the role down. Apparently they had, uh, you know, a notorious feud on set. And Anderson said that it was just tense for about three days out of like the 60 it took to shoot or whatever. Um, And he said it was pretty much fine until after the film came out. Um, So apparently he and and Reynolds uh, had some beef. What a great role, Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights. Um,
1: he's kind sort of a cantankerous
0: guy, anyway. Yeah, I've 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 heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the conclusion of Magnolia, frogs rain from the sky, which we've talked about throughout the film. There are references to the Book of Exodus eight two. That was a very intentional thing that they did on set. Actually, Anderson talked about in an interview about how uh, different people on set would literally just put eights and twos around the set to see if anyone would know. No. So Anderson was like, yeah, you can actually watch the movie, and you might even find some we don't know about. Like, you know, like right. they are just around. But anyways, uh, and again, the Exodus 8-2 scripture says, and if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Let them go, referring to uh, the uh, Egyptian slaves that Pharaoh took, just to give context to that, using my uh, theological background. But anyways, uh, the only... The only character who seems to be uh, unsurprised by The Falling Frogs is the character of Stanley Spector, uh, the new quiz kid. And he calmly observes the events, saying, this happens. This is yeah. something that happens. And yeah. uh, this this has led to the speculation that Stanley is a prophet of sorts, um, al- allegorically akin to something like a Moses, uh, which is also what Exodus uh, is dealing with at that point, And that the slavery in the film alludes to uh, the exploitation of children by adults, which is also interesting. Yeah. And yeah, um, recurring theme. yeah it, I, I was just actually about to say, I almost skipped it, but since you just said that, like there are father issues on many different cases, uh, yes. including Claudia's character, Frank TJ Mackey, Quiz Kid Donnie yeah. Smith and Stanley. Um, yeah. But uh, last one of the background, I might do some of this trivia. I might skip it. I'm, I'm not sure yet. So when all of the characters sing Amy Mann's Wise Up, now, this is something yeah. that when I first watched it felt weird to me. Now I just love it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: But yeah. check this out. So all the characters, for you listeners that haven't seen it, there's a point where they're all down in the dumps. This is this is before the frogs, but like, you know, it's everyone's kind of getting down. And Amy Mann's song Wise Up, you can look this up, the the song Find it On Spotify the or something. Um, song. all of the characters in their own places, they're all in their own places in the film, they're all singing this song simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. So each line in wise up uh, throughout in that scene uh, is a reference to what the character is singing. It is going through. So when Claudia sings, it's not what you thought when you first began it, this refers to her cocaine addiction. Jimmy's you're sure there's a cure and uh, you finally found it refers to his cancer. And if you've seen the film, you know what the quote-unquote cure is. Uh, Donnie's, you know, you think one drink will shrink you till you're underground and living down refers to his drinking problem. Uh, Linda's prepare a list for what you need before you sign away the deed refers to her dying husband's will. Uh, All of these things tie into the characters. What a brilliant little moment once you learn this, that this is actually a really complex use of a very kind of bizarre scene, but yeah, it really yeah. does pack a punch.
1: But yeah, yeah. It, it's and, and to kind of describe it, if you haven't seen it, it's it almost is like a music video, right? In a, in a sense, where all of these characters are singing. Like it's the way it's cut together. It appears like they're all singing the song in a rehearsed way, right? So you know, like you said, it would go to one character and they're singing a line. And then it bounces to somebody else who then continues the line or sings the next one, and then it just kind of moves along and it just keeps cutting back and forth. And it's it's I don't know, it's really good, man. It's yeah, even like it's even funny to see Tom Cruise doing it. Yeah, you know, like that was the, the thing where I was like, Wow, like you know, I mean, when did Tom Cruise sing in a movie? I guess in Top Gun, but uh <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. but in this case, like it's not It's not meant to be jokey. It's meant to be very serious. And it's
0: not it's, like a musical. Like, yeah, they're not yeah, belting not it. They're just kind of singing it under their breath. Right, Apparently, yeah. all of them were really too nervous to do it, and they had Julianne Moore do it first. Yeah. And that kind of loosened yeah. everyone up. Um, <laughs> nice. Here are a few trivia things. We're not going to go through all of them. I have, like, 15 of them. I'm going to go through just a couple. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at the time of release, Paul Thomas Anderson stated that this was that he really felt that Magnolia is, for better or for worse, the best film he'll ever make. Of course, you know, he hadn't seen There Will Be Blood yet, but that's fine. Um, Also, the telephone number, uh, 877-TAMER, is shown on the Seduce and Destroy infomercials, you know, within the movie. Dialing this number, at the time, Uh used to give a recording of Tom Cruise's uh, Seduce and Destroy pitch. So you can actually Uh just... Call this number in real life. I love all of this kind of uh, yeah. extra shit that happened in the movie. You
1: can become a, can become a master of the muff. Yeah,
0: just from
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so good. That,
1: that um, is that is actually from the movie. You guys. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
0: No, Joe's just a terrible human. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the the word fuck is used 190 times. All right, that's uh-huh. it. That that's 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 my trivia. Now you know it um but yeah the background you know if if you watch the film now especially if you've seen it before and maybe some of these things maybe you just like the frog thing but you didn't know why or why is it yeah. called magnolia or how are these characters you know how does the how does the coincidence stuff at the beginning tie in yeah well now you know you know that that's yeah. kind of the whole point i had way too much to talk about on this i'm kind of afraid that that's going to be how all of my picks are yeah, um yeah. but you and, know and we should also know. say
1: there's a lot that we haven't even talked about in this movie. There's a lot of stuff that happens that, yeah, we haven't, we've just scrapped, I'm sitting here going, we've left out so much, but I think, I, I think in this case, it's a good thing. I mean, even though, you know, when you have your moratorium on spoilers, it's been 20 plus years, but this is one, if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about, but if you haven't, it makes it so much richer just to know, you know, to, I would even think that the, the Raining Frogs part, you know, if we didn't tell you that, like it's it's so good for that to be a surprise because you're like, what the hell? But there's yeah. so much of this movie that just if and if you saw Boogie Nights, there's a lot of the same a lot of the same um tropes he uses in that where he'll do a close-up on something and focus in on it and it'll be like some weird message. Yeah. You know, or um just different shots, use of music the music in this is so good. There's so good. He uses Goodbye Stranger by Supertramp in that bar scene with, with William H. Macy. So good. And it is spectacular. My God, it's so good. He has a way of juxtaposing.
0: Yeah he has a way you of juxtaposing sorry. sorry, go ahead. Jim. Uh,
1: no, oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say we haven't even to speaking of the bar scene, we haven't even talked about Henry Gibson playing the great Henry Gibson playing a, a character named Thurston Howell, yep. who is vying for the, the attention of the same person William H. Macy is. And they have this really, just it's it's hilariously funny, but it's also very poignant, you know, in in what they're doing, yeah. And and they start sparring back. It's so good.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, so, it's so good. He's fantastic. He's also a a uh, Robert Altman alumni. All right. Yeah. Um, wow. we might talk about some of Robert Altman stuff at some point. Because uh, he's mm-hmm. just one of my all-time favorites. But yeah, he's he's in, in his movies as well. Also, yeah. a, a fun little cameo. Uh, Patton Oswalt plays yes. one of the characters in the aforementioned uh, uh, coincidences, one of the stories at yeah. the very beginning uh, I don't of the film. Know,
1: and I don't even know if at the time it would be considered a, a cameo. Because no, no, no. He wasn't a star, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't anything
0: there, at the time, probably.
1: Yeah, and, there's, and, and it's funny because I also wrote down, now that you mentioned that uh, Patton Oswalt... Also, having tiny, tiny roles in this are Robert Downey Sr. and um, he's actually credited as being a prince in that. So I don't know if there's yeah. some kind of interest there. Um, Thomas Jane is in it for a very brief moment. Yep. Um, Orlando Jones, who you know, like you know, you may know from uh, what was it? He? he was a Mad TV or something. Yeah. And then he was also in uh, Office Space, um, and then Clark Gregg, who would go on to be Agent Coulson in. Um, you know, the Marvel movies and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's in a bunch of other stuff as well. He has a small role as well. Um, Felicity Huffman's in this movie too, in a supporting role. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, people who are today well-known, maybe at the time, I mean at the time some of those guys were recognizable. I mean, Thomas Jane was in Boogie Nights and had a, you know, had a fairly substantial role in that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's funny to see those guys in addition to the giants and the you know the of the main
0: cast, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah and, and again, most of those giants might have been mm-hmm. known people, but they weren't right. like they would late a lot, many of them would later become big stars. Yes. Even yeah, Julianne yeah. Moore, who was again well known at that point, I'm sure, and yep. you knew who she was, but she wasn't like the big star she would later become. Yeah, yeah. And uh dude, I just gotta say about Paul Thomas Anderson. We didn't even really touch on and I'm fine with this because, again, I want people to go see this. So if I I'd rather give you a bunch of background shit than talk about the movie almost. But um, Paul Thomas Anderson, man, he he is he's my favorite living filmmaker. I can make that statement. And uh, the only movie that I need to rewatch is Inherent Vice which I own yes. and it's, it's my least favorite of his, but I still enjoy it, yeah, I mean, but I need to like go watch it again. I haven't, I've only yeah. seen it once. Yeah. Um, I,
1: I have not seen the Phantom Thread. I need to watch that. And I probably want to revisit Inherent Vice. I think those are the only two. Well, I have seen Inherent Vice, but um, yeah. Inherent Vice is probably has my least favorite probably also.
0: Yeah. Um, but man, so
1: much of what he does is just so brilliant.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's dude. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, there will be blood. I would say is probably. I mean, it was my favorite film of 2007. I might even say it's it's just the best film of that decade. Which think of all the Indeed, movies that yeah. came out in that decade. Yeah. I mean, that's a big decade. That the aughts, the 2000s, um, and I, I would I would potentially. I'd really have to think about it, but I might even make that bold statement. It's this dude, it's
1: certainly top five. Oh you know? yeah, this dude ser- is. Yeah
0: amazing and in the film you also get all of the long takes that he does all of the very meaningful slow push-ins and pull-outs and um the long takes the movements there's this brilliant long take it's like two minutes 15 seconds or something where um there's a producer walking stanley because he's running late trying to get him ready for uh the what do kids know show and she's kind of running him through the hallway and the camera just follows him the whole time for like over two minutes and it is very impactful and it feels very yeah. urgent. The whole film actually for being huh?
1: Right. And it's a kid in that sequence. Right? It's a kid. like multiple kids in that sequence, yeah.
0: right? The the yeah. I hate to say it this way, but the kind of chubby kid. Yeah. <laughs> his his, his flagrant use of profanity is hilarious. Yes. Um yeah. but, anyways, like uh like that sequence is great, but it's a, a good example of how urgent this film is. For it being over three hours, you'd think maybe it'd be a yeah. little slow. But the whole film feels very urgent to me, constantly like something moving. And, you know, like you said, we could sit and talk for hours about every scene of this, I'm sure. But just take what we've talked about and go watch it. And after, you know, after you watch it, I dare you to hit me up on social media and tell me Paul Thomas Anderson isn't one of the great filmmakers of this generation. And, you know, I think Boogie Nights is one of the great American films. I think yeah. this is one of the great American films. This was actually number two, only beaten by Bing John Malkovich on Roger Ebert's top ten of this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, you I know, would, I would even
1: put I would put it ahead of those myself. Yeah, personally. I will mean, put it ahead of Bing John Malkovich, but
0: yeah, yeah, and I love Bing John Malkovich, but this would yeah, be number, this is not even a question. Yeah. This is number one for me. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Punch Drunk Love, probably one of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen, which is yeah. hard to call it that. But if we ever talk about that film, I'll, I'll make the case for it. Um, I mean, just everything. The Master. We will talk yeah. about The Master at some point. I'll just foreshadow that now. That's yeah. just one of the greats. I, dude, I just think this dude's so special. And I'm so yeah. glad that this film, you know, at least made money so that he could continue to make great films. Um. And, uh, I don't know, Joe, you have anything you want to leave off on? Cause I'm.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think we got in what we need to get in. It's it, go see if you haven't seen this and go see it. If, if you have seen it, come, you know, come at us and tell us some things that, you know, that we've left out. Great moments we've left out because there's so many, um, this is, yeah, this is just a, this is a perfect movie to, to, you know, to, to highlight because it, It is just it's an exhausting film to watch, right? The end of the movie you're tired because like you said, that frenetic pace, it just keeps it up and keeps it up and keeps it up. And and it give but it gives you some time here and there to rest. And but man, it's it's it is great. It is a great, great
0: film. Absolutely. If you want to check this movie out, you can uh, rent it on YouTube, Apple TV, all the places. Um, if you're on Amazon or Hulu, you can get the Cinemax app. Uh, Joe and I have talked yes. about the great and wonderful opportunity of just getting free uh, <laughs> free yeah. subscriptions, like seven-day free trials or whatever. If you haven't uh-huh. seen this or if you want to rewatch it, you can check it out on, uh, on those platforms as well. And Joe, thank you for for talking with me about this. Uh, From now on, and I didn't tell you this ahead of time, so I apologize. Maybe you do know, and if you actually do, feel free to say, but uh, don't feel pressured. But I want to start foreshadowing what we're going to be talking about when we do our favorite choices like this. I didn't do it with this, and I didn't tell you Uh, ahead of time, so I don't expect you to have your next choice. Um, Right. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we can start foreshadowing that so we also give people opportunity to check it out. I was thinking about that, and I just forgot to tell you. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I agree.
0: Let's do it. All right. Well, Joe, thanks a lot, buddy. I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya. All right, everybody. That was our show today. Remember that nobody is out in theaters March 26th. That's this Friday. Again, be very careful. Pandemic precautions. Make sure you keep your distance. You wear your mask. Take care of each other out there. All right? But if you do make the choice to go to the theater, uh, nobody's a good time. So you should go check that out. Uh, also, hey, if, if you have uh, a Cinematic or cinematic Cinemax subscription through Hulu or Amazon or, or wherever, wherever. Uh, I believe Magnolia is on there for free. There are other ways to see it, of course. You can rent it online right now, but no matter what, please go out of your way to either re-watch or for the first time watch Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Really a phenomenal film. One of the great American, it's just great American cinema, you know, especially in the 90s. Just what a wonderful feature. Um, and that's pretty much gonna wrap up today. So, you know, hey, We had a lot going on today. I hope you enjoyed it. We love you. Thank you so much. And hey, good night. Good luck. Take it easy.